how do we do that? How do we train ourselves toward godliness? Well, the Apostle Paul, what he does in this passage is he gives us some insight. He is telling Timothy, as a young pastor at the church at Ephesus, he's saying, listen, I want you to be a good minister of the gospel. And I want you to train yourself toward godliness. And as you train yourself toward godliness, here's some things that you could be doing. So key point number two. Your training unto godliness must include the nourishment of God's word. Your training unto godliness must include the nourishment of God's word. Look back at verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. It's, of course, important uh, for every Christian uh, to feed daily on God's Word. But it's mission critical, as we see here for the Apostle Paul writing to a pastor. It's mission critical for a pastor to grow in God's Word. It is the daily study and meditation upon God's Word that builds good doctrine. And it enables the pastor to lead. I'm, I'm worried that there are too many churches out there that pastors are not spending time in God's Word. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're going to see a great apostasy. We're seeing churches that are going to abandon the faith. Why? Because pastors are not spending time in God's Word. So Paul told Timothy that he needs to be well nourished in God's Word because he's going to instruct the brethren in these things. So since Timothy is going to be instructing others, it's even more so important that Timothy spend time nourishing himself so, because he is going to instruct others. Now, don't miss this as something just for Timothy or something just for pastors because our corporate times of worship are important, but it's not enough for nourishment. You cannot be healthy and only eat once or even twice a week. You must learn to feed yourself on God's Word. And it's why I, I'm always emphasizing and talking about developing spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines, habits, hanging out with God, spending time in His Word. A is for accountability in a small group. B is Bible memorization. I is involvement in ministry and mission. T is tithing, commitment, and S is for sermon application. But the idea is that we have to spend time in God's Word. Key point number three, then, is this. Your training unto godliness must discern what is bad, what is temporary, and eternal. Your training unto godliness must discern three things. What is bad, what is temporary, and eternal. Look back, it says to reject profane and old wives' fables. Now, if you had told me 30 years ago that Christians would be given the label of haters, I would have said that's the most ridiculous thing ever. That's crazy. How in the world... Would we ever get to a point where people would say Christians are labeled as haters? 
How would we ever get to a point where Christians would be labeled as bigots? How would we ever get to a point where Christians are labeled with all these terrible, terrible names? That's, that's not Christians. Christians are, we're the good guys, right? We're the ones that did what? We founded most of the universities in America. Christians are the ones that founded many of the hospitals. In fact, it, it, I used to think it was no big deal, but now I'm beginning to recognize that it, that it's a, it, it is losing its identity in our hospitals. We used to call them Presbyterian. We used to call it Presbyterian Hospital here in Charlotte. We used to have a Baptist hospital. We used to, have, we used to call them by those names. Why? Because that's where they got their origins. And now they just have these, you know, secular uh, names that don't really let you know why this, why this hospital began. So if you told me 30 years ago, no, Christians are going to be the ones that are going to be labeled, that they don't care about science, even though it was many Christians who, who founded the discipline and, and, and made great strides in developing this, the, the disciplines within science. If you had told me that the Christians would be labeled that way, I said, that's crazy talk. If you had told me 30 years ago that sins that were culturally recognized as sinful would be celebrated in our culture today, I would have said, like what? And then if you had said the sin of homosexuality will be celebrated 30 years from now, I would have said, I, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. I can't imagine. How, do, how would we get to that point? In fact, if you don't support it, then there's something wrong with you. If you had told me 30 years ago that, that abortion would be celebrated, I would have said, that's crazy. Listen, as Christians, we object to the sin of homosexuality, not because it makes us feel uncomfortable or ooh, we just think it's gross, but because it is a perversion of God's design and his purposes. God has set boundaries, and he has set those boundaries, and Satan challenges and he perverts those boundaries. Sin is anything that opposes the character and nature and person of God. And when we recognize that homosexuality is actually a, a, an attack against the personhood and the character and nature of God, then we recognize, the, the, we recognize it for the sin that it is. When we recognize what marriage is and that God defined marriage, God defined marriage as between a man and a woman, terms that are, we're on the brink of losing. But God himself has, has defined the, what, um, and created men and women. But we're on the brink of losing these terms. And God has, God has set these boundaries. Why? When we think of it in these terms, Jesus is, uh, is the, the bridegroom. The church is the bride. And when a bride said that she, says that she needs no groom, it's as if the church is saying we don't need Christ. In the same way, it would be for two, two women to be in a relationship is a rejection of there's no need for Christ. Two men in a relationship is there's no need for the church. 
It is a picture, and it always has been a picture that points us to the Lord. As Christians, we recognize the Bible teaches the fruit of the womb is a blessing from God. And when we abort a child, we are rejecting God's blessing. I'm hoping, I'm praying for a day that America will repent of the great sin of abortion. The Bible teaches that God brings life, but death is the enemy. I want to share with you, there are more than 1,200 abortions in America every single day before noon. Before noon. So here's what our culture doesn't understand. While we condemn the sins of homosexuality and abortion and alcoholism and pornography, those things are not what define us as Christians. We all have sin in our life. We all do. In fact, we probably would look at this list of things and say we have relatives or friends or people that we dearly love that struggle with all of those. We all have sin in our life. But hear me on this, love is not ignoring the sin, nor is it embracing the sin. It's demonstrating that God's plan for sin is better than my own plan for sin. So what defines us is not that our identity is found in these things, but rather our identity is found in Christ. Paul warns Timothy, you'll do well as a minister if you reject the cultural thinking that opposes God's word. He's saying, listen, if you want want to be a good pastor in Ephesus, there are going to be things that are going to challenge. The culture is going to challenge God's word. And as it challenges God's word, you will do well as a young pastor if you will stand firm on God's word because God's word is unchanging. God didn't just arbitrarily come up with a list of these are things that I don't like. God said, no, these things are opposed to his person, his nature, his character. And then the closer we become conformed to the image of Christ, we recognize those things for what they are, even in our own life. And we want to rid ourselves of them. So Paul warns Timothy to reject that cultural thinking. And then he says this. He says that physical exercise is good, but it's temporary. So we have to have this ability, if we're going to, if we're going to not just try harder, but exercise ourselves under, uh, to godliness, we have to have this ability to discern what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong in the midst of a culture that's telling us one thing. But the second thing is recognize that there are some things that the culture is going to tell us are the most important, but some of these things, they might even be good, but they're temporary. While it is good to exercise, and the benefits are limited to the physical world, Paul is, is suggesting not that we choose between the two. He's not saying you have to have exercise yourself unto godliness and ignore physical exercise, but rather our spiritual exercise is going to benefit us both now and eternally. So he's telling us to focus and recognize there is benefit to both. 
So how do we do that? How do we discern things? How do we discern what's right? How do we discern what's wrong? How do we exercise ourselves unto godliness? We do these things by spending time in God's Word. And then finally, key point number four is this. Your training unto godliness will be an example for others. Your training unto godliness will be an example for others. Look back at verse 12. Let no one despise your youth or your youthfulness. Again, Timothy was very young. But be an example to the believers in word, that's our speech, in conduct, that's how we walk, in love, that's our motivation, in spirit, that's our attitude, in faith, that's our trust in God, and in purity, both our mind, heart, and body. I really believe that no pastor can lead people where he has not been himself. I can't point you to Jesus if I don't know him. I can't teach you from God's word if I don't know God's word. Pastor Charlie and I have had, we've had this conversation many times before about going on mission trips. And the, the people that should go on mission trips are who? Christians. <laughs> right? We, we, for years we've, heard, we've had this conversation, you know, about hearing about people who take non-believers on mission trips. And, then, the, and they're, they're, they say, well, it's a, good, it's a good opportunity for them to hear the gospel. And I'm like, but the purpose is not for them to hear the gospel. The purpose is for them to share the gospel. Mission trips are for believers to go and share their faith. You can't share something that you don't have. As a pastor, I can't share with you those things that if I don't have them. There's a saying in seminary. It's this. It says, as the pastor goes, so goes the church. The idea is this, that if a pastor is passionate about evangelism, the church is going to be passionate about evangelism. Why? Because that's what's modeled. If the pastor is passionate about discipleship, the church is going to be passionate about discipleship. Those things that are modeled is what people will follow. There was another, all my 80s references today, there was another popular saying in the 80s, at least among youth groups, and that was this. You may be the only Jesus some people ever see. It was also said this way. Yeah, some other people would say it this way. They'd say, you may be the only Bible that other people or some people may ever read. What's the point of that phrase? There may be some people who are never going to crack open the books of the Bible, and you may be the closest thing to a Bible that they're going to get. There are some people, anything about Jesus, but the way that you live, that may be the closest that they ever get to seeing Jesus in the flesh. That's how you live before them. You may be the only Jesus some people ever see. You may be the only Bible some people ever read. The idea is what you are modeling, other people are seeing. And it's so important that we recognize and 
that other people are following. Paul is telling Timothy, don't let them look down upon you just because you're young. You be an example to them. You be an example in all the areas. So the point is this, and we'll let this be our one last thought and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. Someone is watching you. Are you showing them how a Christian trains unto God? Let's pray.